Hello, this is a family electric ghost. We have glass bells on the line. Hi. How you doing? Yeah, we Pretty did good. have a problem. Last time we had a little technical difficulty, but we've got it worked out. I've had like three podcasts this week, so haven't had that problem again. <laughs> That's great. So uh, you're a Southern California synth pop band, right? Absolutely. And you're the lead singer, right? Yes. Now, do you play synth, or or does another person in the band play synth? No, that would be Anthony. He is all the music. So that's interesting. But you're the only one on on right now, right? Yes. Okay, cool. So just to give an intro on Family Electric Ghost, I have the podcast uh, that has the same name. We've been interviewing independent bands since 2018. We are part of the Spotify family, and we've reached 24,000 listeners worldwide. Um, so we're pretty excited that we've been able to still do this in this time. Uh, we sent you the question, so we're going to start there. Okay. So when did you first get into music? Like at what age? Uh, the first time I remember really getting into music was when I was nine after I had received a couple of CDs from my aunt for my birthday. And so um, what, what CDs were those? <laughs> <laughs> Embarrassingly enough, it was... Uh... Shakira and this other Spanish artist named uh, Paulina Rubio. <laughs> that's um, interesting. Yeah, so that's kind of when I began getting my love for music. It it was definitely um, a very, uh, not what people would expect, I think. <laughs> well, based on your sound, just because I'm, I'm a synthesis, I'm a synth player, and I hear a lot of new wave or new romantic you know, 80s sounds from your band. Um, so you've got this kind of sound that, that that you wouldn't think, you know, that that would be what you were listening to. But, you know, you start off where you start off. Right. You know, my, my, yeah. I mean, a lot of bands, if you listen to, you know, who their influences are, they don't necessarily map to what they're doing. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's definitely different. Like when I first started getting into music, more into when I became obsessed, that's a whole other story. <laughs> we'll, we'll get to that. <laughs> so, so, so we um, get into the question, like how long you've been working on music. So when did you discover that you're, you're you had a, a, you're a vocalist. So did you decide that that's your instrument right away? Or did you start on other instruments and then, you know, grow into singing? Uh, so basically it started when I was 10 years old, I auditioned for a play I, um, for my school and I was thinking I was going to get like a small role um, the the play was the trial of Alice in Wonderland and I was thinking I was going to get you know just like a small choir role but I ended up getting the lead for Alice in the Alice in Wonderland play so um, I discovered that wow okay um, this might lead to something so once I was, I got on stage and sang in front of people. I basically got addicted to the on stage high. <laughs> yeah, that's what a lot of musicians will tell you. Like, you know, being being a like um, a musician that plays an instrument, the kind of if you a lot of guys like they play instruments, they they would kind of they would have stage fright. They wouldn't be able to sing. But if you give them a guitar or a drum or a keyboard, they can get in front of somebody, and then suddenly they become like another person. <laughs> um so did you feel like you could become like the other me the other when you sing do you kind of become a different like version of yourself do you find that you get more power that you find that you have this you know this 
other capability that allows you to feel comfortable on stage? I would say that there's definitely another version of myself that um, basically comes out when I get on stage. It's like before I go on stage, I'm this nervous wreck. I'm over here, you know, almost hyperventilating because I'm like, oh, my God, we're about to get on. What is this? And the moment that first beat drops, the, the moment the music starts, I just... All of a sudden, I don't recognize who I am. I'm this entirely different person and this, like, kind of more confident, you know, version of myself comes out. And it's kind of interesting because... Um... Yeah, yeah. That, that's like a thing that if you go through music history and you're like Michael Jackson, notoriously shy, but like a brilliant, one of the most brilliant performers ever, but very painfully shy if you try to talk to him one-on-one. Same thing with Prince. You know, he's one of the greatest, was one of the greatest performers ever. But you could hardly carry a conversation with him. He seemed like very nervous, not, not very secure. And it, it, it seems like a lot of creative people can do that other me, that they have this other self when they become, when they get on stage. Yeah. Whether they're an actor or a musician or a vocalist, it's like it seems like that creative people can do that. And then it, it ends up being like sometimes like the stage ends up being the person's like only place they feel comfortable. <laughs> <laughs> and that can be a problem. But um, so you realized early you had a talent for music. When did you start deciding that you could write your own vocals or lyrics? Um, when did you feel that you could do that? Did you start off writing your own material? Or did you? It sounds like you were in theater, so you were singing songs that were already, you know, established. But when did you think that you had? had something to say you would write your own stuff well when I was in uh, high school I had a lot of teenage <laughs> angst <laughs> um, so I began writing poems and eventually I started uh, thinking well how how do lyrics get written because I kind of saw that correlation between poems and lyrics and I got curious about it so then I started kind of humming my own songs and then turning that into lyrics but it wasn't until I was an adult that I realized I wanted to do something with it. So I uh, I just went on Craigslist and tried to find any band who would have me. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and I found uh, my earlier project, 8IM, through, through that. And it allowed me to get, get a start in creating my own music. But it wasn't until um, Glass Bells that it really got serious. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting because um, I was talking to a couple other people this week uh, when I did interviews, and there is a big correlation between like singer songwriters usually start with po poetry or journals, you know, or diaries. And I was talking to a, a woman in England, and she had this diary and this this big collection of like poetry, I, and she you know started to go go into it and then pull you know, po poetic lines and then have that start being the basis of her songs. And I've talked to a lot of artists, you know, 40 artists in the last two, three years. And so many singer-songwriters, they, they tell me that same thing. Yeah. That a lot of it came from poetry, which is, it seems interesting because it's like, you know, it, it, I, I myself, that's how I started with my work. All my work came from my poetry. Um, so I think it's like a common theme. Yeah, it's a great outlet to express yourself. I mean, you you start out learning about po poetry and then you realize that lyric writing is not too far from it. 
No, it's just like that once you get with a band and you, your poetry, then suddenly, a lot of times, like singer-songwriters, you kind of have this idea. You have all these reference points in your head, right? You have everything in your journal, everything in your poetry. And then when you hear, like, you get into a band situation and they bring a groove, then some, if you're, you know, really good singer-songwriters, they can kind of recall all that stuff that's in their head, all that stuff they've been working on, and then figure out a way, kind of stream of consciousness, to, to make that work yeah and other yeah and it, it seems to kind of just come out of the air <laughs> yeah like from, from the muse it's a very a beautiful thing <laughs> yeah it's like a lot of people are like you know i've thought some people who aren't creative they're kind of like well how do you write a song it's like well, a lot of times if you're a musician it just they just kind of come to you and if you work with other people and you're in bands like the, somebody brings a bass line somebody brings a drum somebody brings a keyboard pad and then suddenly boom you've got an idea you yeah. know and and it just like and it's hard to describe to people who aren't creatives like how that works because it just sometimes it's not tortured you know we sometimes it is but a lot of times <laughs> um, yeah. but um so so you're writing down genre from i i was just listening to your music and i'll kind of give what i my my impressions like i said it's like new wave new romantic um, and it kind of goes back to like the music I love. I'm in my fifties, right? So I grew up in the eighties mm-hmm. and, and I listened to bands like Berlin, Human League, New Order, Eurythmics, you know, Dale Bosdale from Moving Pictures. And I really, I heard a lot, a lot of those themes in your music, huh. um, which is really cool because I'm, I, I grew up in that time. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a big synth head, and I'm still big proponent of those big synths. I mean, I've got Rollins, I've got, I've got you know Modes. So I'm a hardware synth guy. Um, oh man, that's so amazing. I have, I have those those machines because I grew up in that time, and I'm still still working those right <laughs> into my music. And it seems like there's a, a lot of people today that want that sound. Yeah, and I've I've kind of gone back to it. And so then it's like, you know, people tell all oh, your Moog and your role and no one cares about those anymore. But now I hear oh, a lot yeah. of bands that are bringing out Jupiter sounds, they're bringing out 106s, you know, the sound like they're using Prophet 5s, you know, maybe getting too technical, but <laughs> that, that, those were the sounds of the 80s. You know, those synths represented the 80s sound. I mean, uh, it, they're great sounds, so it's no yeah. wonder they kind of came back into circulation. Yeah, because you can use them in EDM. They're used in hip hop. They're used in rap. You know, Moogs are all over rap and hip hop. Yeah. Um, so I mean, that's so they're not really out of fashion, even though they're from the '70s and the '60s. They still create tones that people, you know, associate with electronic music. Yeah. Um, and so that's really interesting that your sound, you know, is in that vein, which is like that's something of where I live. Yeah. <laughs> but um. Yeah, it's so interesting. So you you were drawn to like a new wave style of of, of sound. Like in your band, it's very new wave eighties sound. Yeah, Did, was that a big draw for you when you got uh, with Glass Bells? Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, I've always been a huge fan of the eighties, even though I didn't grow up in the eighties. But it, I mean, that type of music is just I don't know. I feel like it really brings out. A different emotion you know it's it's a whole different feeling like bands like the cure or you yeah, know um cure, yeah but that's a really awesome band from that time yeah joy division um you know it's, yeah. they just have like this really dark but almost uplifting sound 
which you know yeah, I would, yeah i mean the thing about that sound the, the interesting thing of it like joy division was like in 78 they were like one of the first new wave bands and they had a kind of very gothic sound but they introduced like the synthesizer sound and later bands like depeche mode and the cure like flushed it out and even mm-hmm. the, the 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 remaining members of joy division became new order which was one of the premier synth new wave bands of any era and they're still around um yeah. but it's just like that, that that sound what's cool about it it kind of is post-punk you got it coming it's coming out of that punk movement yeah sex pistols and the clash and then they start introducing you know like synthesizers which then what it did is it took that punk sound and it started to craft it and so it actually had more melody and it had more uh you know tones where you could be a little softer or you could be gothic or you could be a little Victorian and you get this whole idea where you get the human league and bands like the cure. Um, and it just opened up things in so many different ways that people could be, you know, like you look at Prince, you look at the human league, you know, with David Bowie, this whole kind of gender bending thing going on in the sounds. It's just, it was a very open time. You know, it was kind of like the sixties in a way that people were very open to new ideas and in new wave, you can go any direction. Yeah. Um, and it can leave it wide open. And it's actually song craft. Where a lot of things today, like you get into EDM or other forms like your hip hop, sometimes it's not as more beat oriented, mm-hmm. but new wave is kind of song oriented. Yeah. So I, I, that's why I was interesting that you were into that because like a lot of things going on today are more beat or clip based. Mm-hmm. But your your band is, is is really kind of song craft based. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we we really do get a lot of our inspiration from a lot of like that eighty sound. Um, also with Stranger Things bringing out that sound again, um, that, yeah. that's been a huge drive in our latest sound. Yeah, the, they were famous for use, the, their use of the ARP 2600, which is like that, that, the way they sound is kind of a synth called an ARP 2600. And um, it has a unique sound. You know, they, it was used by Stevie Wonder, it was used by Pete Townsend from The Who on the song famous Who song, Who Are You? Mm-hmm. Um, it's a very distinctive synth. Every time you, you can like note it on certain songs, everybody knows where it, that it was used. Um, and it just is just, it's just an iconic synth. And it is, you know, really associated with the eighties because it's, you know, it, it survived it to like from, it was built from like 74 to 1981. Yeah. And then it was still used all the way into the nineties, even though the company went out of business. <laughs> uh, but, but everybody still uses them and it actually came back this year oh That's, wow that kind of shows you the r2600 korg reissued it this year Whoa. and it is so it's the exact version from like the 74 um so that that's what's interesting today it, in the same way that i'm talking to bands like you mm-hmm. like moog and roland and uh you know arp they all all the synthesizers are associated with new wave yeah you can find brand new versions of them yeah, uh, I mean, that's interesting. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Just to know that um, all these businesses can basically spring up out of nowhere once that trend kind of comes back to life. That's really cool. Well, yeah, well, there's so many, not just the new wave, but a lot of, you know, like synth, synth wave, trance artists, EDM, RDJs are starting to like not just buy beats, they're, they're buying synths again so they can actually make their own sounds. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's, and that like, was, yeah. I, I, I feel like it's becoming uh, very mainstream, which I, I don't personally think it's a bad thing. Um, some people would say it is, but I think it's great. Um, you know, like 
Lady Gaga with her new album Chromatica. She, yeah, she she brought back out that sound, and I mean, the weekend, you know, his latest album uses a lot of uh, a lot of those sounds as well, which is really shocking um, that it's just come back into circulation and that it's just so mainstream now. Yeah, I think because I mean, I I talk to a lot of bands that are in the kind of non-mainstream, but but there is a tendency now to to kind of merge things. You know, I'm a heavy analog guy, right? Mm-hmm. I like your like hardware analog, but I have digital stuff too. But but there is a appreciation. I think every generation goes back. You know, my generation, we appreciated the Beatles. Mm-hmm. You know, we we were like heavy into the Beatles <laughs> and we're romanticizing the Beatles all the time. And so it it does it makes a lot of sense that you know that in 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 this era that people would romanticize that period because it's a very musical period. Oh yes, uh, and it's like multiple things that come from that time. You know, you get Van Halen, you get Prince, you get New Wave, you get Michael Jackson. You have so many different things were going on in the eighties. The music was very, you know, you had MTV, you had this whole era where there was a heavy focus on you know very interesting music it was a very interesting time and it was very prolific for a lot of bands mm-hmm. um and so i think a lot of people will dive into that and it's interesting that that's where where you are but i don't think it's a bad thing to be like in in the top you know 50 or in a in a, in a popular sound it's kind of like what you do with that sound right yeah i think what you guys are doing is it's not exactly like that you're trying to be the human league or you're trying right. to be the, your rhythmics, you are yourself. Yeah. You know, and you have a unique sound, but you, you, we know that that's where, you know, the heart of it might've come from, but it's really, you know, it's a really good testimony to your, to your, your band's craft. I, I really like some of the songs, like I've been listening to like night hour and mirrors and psychic lovers, empty road. Don't save me off the year on mirrors EP. And, you know, I've really, I'm digging that stuff big time. Oh, thank you so much. <laughs> so maybe I'll get into like the first track, Night Hour. Like, how did you, uh, what's the, the story behind that song? Maybe you could talk about that. We like to get into that. Uh, let's see, Night Hour. Um, basically, Anthony just sent me uh, the lyrics, um, some lyrics. Uh, he always kind of says, hey, I have a, a line idea and here's the song I was thinking of while thinking of this line. See what you can do with it. And I was like, okay, um, let's see. So basically, um, give me just a moment to really think about it because there's like <laughs> five songs in there that like have similar origins. Um, I mean, I definitely felt like it was, it did have a more darker tone to it, but it was almost uplifting in a way. Yeah. I mean, it has that kind of thing that there is, there is the idea of the new romantic. Right. Like, yeah. Cause the idea like everybody remembers new wave, a new wave started as what was called new romantic and it was kind of gothic and it has some elements that kind of maybe like, Evanescence um, has that kind of thing where it's kind of kind of like a little dark, mm-hmm. but then it's still catchy and it's still kind of like you, you get that with churches. Like if you listen to churches, oh, they're yes. another another band. What the interesting thing about churches, this stuff is sounds very uplifting, right? It sounds mm-hmm. very poppy, but if you listen to the lyrics, 
they're very dark. Yeah. <laughs> and so it's kind of it's kind of a trick because you, you listen to that band, it's like, oh, you, you can get the beat, you can swing to it, you can dance to it, but then you really listen to read her lyrics. And you're right. Like, wow. This you're is like, oh man, this is really dark. <laughs> this is very heavy. And but that was something about new wave or new romantic music that you could do. You could you could have a very gig have a beat that's really getting people involved on a dance floor, but saying something. And it yeah. wasn't just like a clip or a beat. It's actually kind of, there's a depth to it. And that was always the thing I liked about it because it's kind of like a, like a, like a secret hook. Right. <laughs> if you, you, people who don't want to care about lyrics, they can just they not think about it. But people mm -hmm. who did want to dive into it, put their headphones on and say, wow, this part's for me. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's what mainly draws me to this type of music because I like that expression because I, I feel like it's, it kind of like embodies a little bit of who I am. Like anyone who meets me is like, wow, you're so bubbly and uplifting, but like there's, there's a dark side, you know, there's like this, like, I don't want to say like, like sad, but like, you know, there's like this very yeah, like, it's more melancholy. melancholy. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Melancholy is a big part of like Gothic new wave or new romantic. I mean, joy division was like the epitome of the melancholy, maybe too, too, too heavy. Uh, and in the you know, Joy Division, when they, when you know, Joy Division disbanded and it became New Order, they never really went that dark again. Mm -hmm. And maybe because of what happened to Ian, but, but, yeah. but, but it was, you know, it started with that kind of dark piece of it. And you get bands like Depeche Mode to continue that, um, that that piece of it. So that's always been in the new wave. It's always been something that you could, you could kind of sneak that in you see even today like i mentioned with churches that you can what you're doing at night hours kind of like the same thing that goes back to what joy division did yeah um in the past mode but yeah definitely when i was writing that song i said okay it's like really upbeat but there is kind of like that um that is there is that like romantic side of it too so that's where i kind of started making the the chorus a little more romancy you know yeah and i kind of this interesting thing about the new romantic period is there's like a lot of like victorian poetry um like a lot of wordsworth a lot of blake and tennyson kind of sneak their way into new romantic stuff because it's kind of the whole idea of romantic coming you know, from that victorian romantic poetry era they like the new wave era kind of took elements of those classic poets and the idea there's a lot of sadness in that poetry. It's, it's supposed to be romance, but it's really kind of gothic and sad. And right. a lot of poets and musicians and writers kind of took pieces of it. And even like the dress of, of new wave artists, it comes from the Victorian period. You know, Prince wearing his ruffled jackets oh, and the yeah. cure and all the bands were, were basically looking like what Victorian people used to look like. Um, so it's kind of interesting that that's kind of this kind of merging of genre, uh, you know, this kind of gender bending thing. And then this idea of having kind of deep, meaningful lyrics that kind of, you know, emote emotion. Right. Which was really, you know, the whole idea of it. But it's interesting that, you know, people still get drawn to it. So a song yeah. like Mirrors, what, 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 can you maybe talk about that one too? <laughs> so Mirrors was uh, the second song that I wrote when, um, when I joined Glass Bells because there was a Glass Bells before I joined it. 
Um, and we kind of started getting more into this more synthwave sound after I joined the band. Mm-hmm. Um, so for the second song, we wanted to make something very dancey, something that's like very... Um... <laughs> Sorry. That's okay. Get some water. Get, get some water if you need some water. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Need a, need a second. <clears throat> Caught some air there. Yeah. It happens. Um, so, yeah, with the... Uh, with mirrors, um, Anthony sent me the words, I see you through the broken mirror, see your reflection broken apart. And he sent me like this really upbeat tune. And I'm like, huh? I'm like, well, you know, this kind of makes me think of like, you know, when you're out partying, you're at a bar or something, and maybe you've drunk a little too much, you go into the bathroom, and then you see your reflection. And you're just like, uh oh, (laughs) you know, like, yeah, I I am drunk. I need to like, wake up, (laughs) you know, I need to get 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 it together. Um, So I just kind of took that experience and just turn it into like this, this fun song. But also the lyrics are very dark, because you're kind of like, okay, I'm a little too gone, like, help me get back to myself, you know, but at the same time, I'm having fun. But (laughs) That's interesting again because like another romantic poetry idea um, is this idea of a looking glass, which is the mirror. Like the Victorians used to call it the looking glass, which is the same thing as a mirror. It's another word for it, but they used to always talk about this idea of the other, the other me, that is in that looking glass, and you can find it in like Wordsworth and Tennyson and all these poets. And it's interesting that it ends up being something that you you find in a lot of new wave music <laughs> yeah whether, whether people realize it or not it just seems to kind of kind of come the idea of the looking glass in the mirror seems to be in that music i mean it's in a lot of other musical forms but it's interesting that the new wave music tends to have a lot of it because it's yeah. kind of like you know it's very emo very emotional right uh, very gothic and it tends to, there's going to be a natural reflection and the artists tend to like okay well the mirror can kind of represent that other person that maybe is me you know, uh, I never looked at it that way. <laughs> yeah, you might. But just, that, that's just, interesting. Yeah, you can kind of get to it. People maybe didn't know that, but it kind of finds itself. The music seemed to drive it. Um, it's weird. Um, but yeah, that type of music over over time, I've just seen that theme a lot. But it's it's cool. And I've always liked to dive into it myself. Um, but um, yeah, so what other songs were songs that you wrote specifically on the albums? Um, so one of the ones that is, uh, near and dear to my heart, uh, is Empty Road. Um, that song, I gotta say, has got to be the darkest song I've ever written in my life. (laughs) So where'd that come from? Uh, you know, it's funny because when I wrote it, I was actually in a good place. I was pretty happy. Um, and I was just like, okay, uh, I'm gonna write this song. And then... I wrote the lyrics and then I read that back and I'm like, whoa, this is really dark. Um, I, I ended up writing it about limbo, mm-hmm. about, you know, being in a place where like uh, maybe after you've gotten into an accident, you know, you're kind of struggling between the fine line of life and death. And it's very near and dear to my heart because I'm like, I feel like I really reached 
in a place inside myself where I never thought I could really go, you know? Yeah, um, I think, yeah, it's in, you know, as a songwriter, you want to be able to convey, I think what the cool thing about being a singer-songwriter is um, when you're a singer-songwriter, you kind of, they tend, you tend to drive, dive into things that maybe people wouldn't go, where they wouldn't go. And right. I think a lot of the audience appreciates singer-songwriters because, they might not be the your fan might not be able to express that feeling, but mm-hmm. your fans come to you because you were able to express it, um, and so they they find something in your lyrics that they feel the same way, and then they find an artist that reflects that. And singer songwriters have to kind of pull from pain. I mean, a lot of times the, the great artists they pull from a personal experience or being able to empathize. Mm-hmm. with personal experience and then relay it as a creative person. Uh, and I think that's why people get drawn to that type of music rather than if you have a band and you don't have, you know, you have a, you know, like a big producer just trying to make a hit. Right. Um, not, not that that's not good, but when you mm-hmm. have a singer songwriter, you tend to get a little more depth than just, you know, something that's like just catchy. Right. Something that actually is meaningful. And you, you can be meaningful and catchy and have a groove. But it tends that the indie, you know, the independent artists or artists that are singer songwriters tend to have that honesty in their music. Yeah, and I definitely um, understand how that could be. You know, when when they wrote "Empty Road," I mean, the other songs we did get a little help from our producer um, with some things, tweaking things here and there. But "Empty Road" was just kind of one of those songs where I was like, okay, here's the deal, like this. Just really <laughs> like this is how I want it like I don't want to you know sound like you know I'm being too like I guess possessive over the song yeah, or yeah. like being too you know snooty uh about it uh, that definitely wasn't my intention but I did uh let our producers know hey look I have an idea for the song like this is how I want it to go it's something that came out of a very very personal place and I just like it to stay how I intended to stay because you know it it's kind of hard giving up something that you you really feel strongly about yeah and then just like if someone like kind of twists it into something that looks completely different I mean sometimes yes that is good because you know they'll they'll make it a hit and everything but sometimes you gotta kind of draw that line of okay how important is this to you and like I mean, yeah. even if it may not be the most popular song, you know you're proud of it. You know it's something that, you know, came from your soul. Well, I think that's the thing about being a musician. A lot of times, like, I've been a musician, like, <laughs> I'm like 50, <laughs> in my 50s, and I, I've gone the route of working with producers, I've worked with bands, and I'm now working primarily by myself, though I, I, I do have some arrangements where, I'll, I'll I'll work with somebody and I know they're gonna like radically change my stuff, but it's because <laughs> I'm, will, I'm willing to to do right. that. Mm-hmm. And then there's other stuff that I do that's all me because like I'm at the age where I know what I want, I know the way I want to do it. So I'll distribute that stuff on a different channel, right? Right. But, so, but if there's something I'll say, well, I'm trying to do something where I'm gonna make make a hit, then I'll compromise. But when mm-hmm. I've got something that's like really dear, near and dear to my heart, and I'm trying to really can you know express it then i'll be a total control freak and i'm like <laughs> this is this is exactly what it's going to be because this is what i'm doing um and i think all artists have that point when they're working with people that i would know they stand for 
by what, what their original belief is. And, mm-hmm. you know, it depends on, you know, what, where you are in your career at some points where you're willing to, you know, compromise because you, 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 you're, you're, you've got the same goal and everybody, especially when you're in a band, if you're in a band, then you might, it tends to be a compromise. Everybody's putting in a piece of it. You know, exactly. if you're a solo, a solo artist, you can do more control or you could let your producer control it. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so it's just a matter of, like you, a lot of times producers will take over everything and you have to kind of exert yourself to keep them from doing it because that's what they do. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, they, that's what you kind of pay them to do. <laughs> yeah, they will do it, but you've got to kind of, you know, let them know what, how much of you you want in the song. Right. Because a lot of it will be them. You know, producers mm-hmm. will say, oh, I'm, I'm doing you, but a lot of times they're doing them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and that, that's fine. And that, that, that's why you went to them because you, yeah. you like what they're doing. But you want to still maintain part of your own character. Yeah, exactly. I, yeah, I think that's the kind of fine line where artists have to work with recording engineers are the same thing because you, you could you could do your mix right and give it to a recording engineer and then they emphasize something that you're like okay well that works or it doesn't work mm-hmm. depends on what was in your head right and if you're more like sure of what you want then you might challenge your recording engineer and say you know i really wanted to emphasize this right not that and you know i think that comes with experience where you say okay you know you know what you want or you don't want to know what you want or you just know where you are at any age you can know where you, where you want to do i mean prince was 17 and he produced, produced himself and yeah. they, they wanted him to work with earth wayne and fire's producer and he said no <laughs> <He's>, <laughs> he, he knew what he wanted and he created the sound because he was able to say he could have ended up sounding like like earth wind and fire he could have sounded like cool in the gang he could have just been any like other R and B artist that kind of let producers control him, mm-hmm. but he decided that he had a vision that became the Minneapolis sound because he was willing to stick, you know, stick up for it. Yeah, and look at that now—he's one of the most memorable musicians in the entire world. And at seventeen, he knew to do that. So, <laughs> so that, that's my thing. Is like you can know. Like I'm 55, you know, and I'll, I, I'll say that because of experience, but he did that age 17, which I, that takes a lot oh, of guts yeah. from the brand new artist. <laughs> and they tell, they're telling you they're going to get you Maurice White to be your producer. And you say, no, I'm yeah. going to do it myself. <laughs> and I don't know how Warner Brothers let him do that, but they did. Um, and it was a good thing they did. Yeah, no. definitely. <laughs> but, um, so before the lockdown, before Corona, were you guys playing active shows in, in, in the Southern California? Uh, yeah, we were. We were actually uh, playing quite a bit of shows. Our hometown, um, San Diego, uh, we played uh, venues such as the Caspa, Soda Bar, Space Bar. Uh, we had most recently gotten invited to, um, to play Music Box by our local radio station as part of their um, local break series. Uh, Oh, yeah, cool. and we got to play with Meg Myers. Um, so that was really, really cool. Um, and we also got to play in Los Angeles and take and we took the occasional road trip to Anthony's hometown in Calexico. Uh, so you've been mostly Southern California area? Yeah, and we had planned for um, a tour that was a little more expanded, more towards other parts of California and even Arizona. Um, and maybe even other and states, but then COVID came along, and <laughs> yeah. So, so that kind of goes into your, the, what's your strategy? But you do have a 2020 release 
you know, Mir- Mirrors is a 2020 release. So are you planning on doing like, uh, you know, online and more video because you can't do shows? Are you thinking of doing like, you know, video um, live, live casting and different things? What, what are your plans as a band in COVID um, to, to kind of keep things going forward? So we're definitely trying to, um, to push out these five songs and just try to get as many outreach as we can with it. Um, we're also trying to do like videos here and there. Like today we just released um, the Night Hour lyric video. Uh, yeah, oh, cool. originally on, on YouTube. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's on YouTube and okay. on our Instagram TV. Um, so we're just trying to do the best we can. I mean, um, I'm in my own house. So is Anthony, and so is our drummer Michael. So it's really hard for us to get together, especially during these COVID times, because it's just a little too risky. Oh, yeah. And then, like, now in California, things have kind of ramped back up. So. Right. So it's... So that's yeah, not disappointing. Because I'm in the Northeast. I'm in New Hampshire. We're kind of, like, luckily, we kind of stayed, like, in a good place so oh, far. you guys are so lucky. <laughs> but, but, but we're still kind of lo- in a potential lockdown just because this is the United States and people travel. Right. And so we get a lot of people from Florida to come into New Hampshire. And we're kind of worried that you know florida's rates are like really high um and so people could have we would kind of clean things up and we were at a very low rate but now we might get a lot of people who came back from florida and have kind of brought it back yeah it's (laughs) it's all a very messy situation for sure the live shows are kind of like i myself have been doing a lot of twitch and a lot of facebook live and i even got a booker First time I got an international booker, and then they're like, "Oh, we can't get you any live." (laughs) (laughs) And I was gonna—I got an international booker. I was gonna play like Europe and Asia, and then this whole thing now, like Americans, we can't even—we can't even go into Europe. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm like, oh great! Like I just got an international European booker, and I can't even get over there. Uh, but they just told me like, oh, we're gonna start doing online. I was like, okay, great. Let's let's see where that goes. But um, yeah, it's like in this time, you know, I'm doing this podcast, uh, which I've been doing for two years as another thing to kind of keep keep my brand going. So as an artist, have you guys thought about like uh, you know, sync licensing or you know, working on um, like features or doing work production work with other bands to keep like yourselves busy? Or just you're just focused on your own. Yeah, stuff. we're definitely uh, trying to look into getting on um, on different television shows. Uh, we're mm. trying to get um, what do you call it? Um, the thing is, like, like the same yeah. thing we get like yeah, your stuff into. That's like the term, but but yeah, it gets your work into like uh, movies and TV and ads and like you know, like pitches for. Yeah, Madison Avenue pitches where you can, but the only the only kind of double edged sword of that is if you get one of your tunes on a thirty second clip, and then it kind of gets like overdone. Yeah. <laughs> but then I mean you get the you get the benefit of that, and you can actually make more money than that than you would on like anything. Yeah. <laughs> for that, yeah. but but then it might like it's a double edged sword if it becomes like too catchy. <laughs> yeah, um, definitely. So you have to kind of be like balance it, but. 
Yeah, that's the cool thing about being the kind of musician I am is like I can kind of do clips and I don't have to associate them with my mm-hmm. band. I I can just do like synth work and then get it put in different places. It, it doesn't necessarily have to be known as a ghost yeah. song. It's just something I I make money and I don't actually try to associate. With it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean we're definitely trying to to get into that, and that's that's a big goal of ours. Um, but I guess it just really we'll see where it goes as far as um live streaming goes uh it i am trying to look into it but like i said it's really hard for all of us to get together just because we really don't want to risk it um yeah yeah it's hard to do as a full yeah Yeah. so maybe if anything i could try to do something with just vocals but um again i need to have really good quality uh stuff to make that live stream be worth it. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, over time at my home studio, I kind of built up a capability uh, that, you know, I've been live streaming for like three years yeah. and I, I just use my home studio capabilities to do it. But um, yeah, they're all kinds of devices now mm-hmm. that are out there. Like Roland makes like, you know, devices that you can actually link your iPhone oh. to things like a go mixer. It's like a hundred dollar low mixer. That allows you to to use your iPhone as a camera, and it takes in a feed, and you can actually send it like a wave file, mm-hmm. and then sing over it. And it even has a thing that allows you to kind of um, do karaoke over your own music because it kind of yeah. you know brings the vocal down, and then you can like sing to your own track. And that's only like not that I'm pushing rolling. <laughs> there are inexpensive tools that allow you to do live casting that aren't that expensive and allow you to do interesting things that you could kind of sing over a track or something and and you do a live performance a lot of people use them to do like acoustic like uh what you would call um unplugged type performances you know so they can do that on the youtube channels and stuff so it gives people it's key you get to still connect with your fan in in an intimate way that might be different than what your normal live show right yeah so then your fans might appreciate it because it would be a little bit different than what you'd normally do. Yeah, it's certainly not a bad idea. <laughs> Just an idea because I've been talking to a lot of people who've been kind of going that way <clears throat> because they don't. nobody knows when we're going to be able to get back on the road. So there are all kinds of cool things that you can yeah, do. Yeah, kind of like sink or swim, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's cool devices like you use two iPhones as two different cameras. Uh, so it allows you to not have to buy a video camera. You can just have if you have two iPhones, you can like share them, and then have different camera angles on the pot, on the on the broadcast. So there are things you can do without spending thousands of dollars. You can you can take equipment you already have and uh, use it with your laptop and stuff. And it's not terrible. It's just a matter of like looking it up. But yeah, I'm always trying to give people ideas just because I do it myself. So well, thank you. And, um. Yeah, yeah so, definitely so something to look we, into. Yeah, just because you don't know how long it's going to be. And if it's, you know, I don't know if venues are ever going to really open until there's a vaccine. Oh so the yeah. people people might have to figure out different ways. I mean, I've seen one thing that was interesting. I saw I saw a classical musician in Europe that actually he put, put house plants into all the seats oh. in the venue and then did a performance and then live streamed it and so they they were on stage and there was nobody in the audience but plants. wow 
but they were able to get on stage and film it and then have it go out. So I mean, and I've seen like EDM DJs go to the top of roofs and film like a DJ set on top of a roof. So cool. Where, where they're just so there are ways to kind of rethink it. Like, well, how can I do something? I can I, maybe I could do a performance somewhere where there's no audience, but I stream mm-hmm. it, and or, or you know, I, so it's socially distant and it's live and people get to see it so there's been i've seen a lot of innovative stuff start happening where people are trying different things so i think that's where people have to kind of think out of their box yeah definitely um so so what are your opinions of like the future of music the one thing we like to talk about uh, okay like you know we're able to talk because you are on you're on spotify we found you on instagram what are your thoughts of the way social media works with like musicians today? Well, I think definitely one thing is certain is that music is here to stay. And no matter what platform and no matter what way, I mean, it's definitely not going anywhere. Um, I think it's pretty great that people have access to tons of music at literally a push of a button. But um, I do believe that artists should be maybe getting a little more pay for plays. I mean, you know, I'm sure. As- yeah, yeah, that's a big, yeah, that's a big complaint. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, you know, as an artist, we work very hard on our music, and it can sometimes get a little discouraging when you find that you're not seeing as much revenue from your investment. Not that that's the ultimate goal, but you know, sometimes yeah. that same money that you make um, from the streaming, from the merch, and everything, it all ends up going back into the band. But um, yeah, I mean, yeah. Yeah, I think the big the big problem we have is um yeah, I grew up in a time where the only way you could get your music and they had to like, you know, go to Strawberries Records and tapes there or, or you know, walk into a record store and pick up the vinyl or pick up the cassette or pick up the C D. And in those days the problem was is like if you were a band, you know, you could play in a bar doing cover band and stuff, but you'd never get picked up by a label and you couldn't get your music right. out. So you you go play at a pizza place, <laughs> or, you, or you play at some little dive somewhere, and so you're able to get out and play, but you hardly made any money, and you couldn't get your music anywhere, yeah. unless you made a cassette and like sold out the back. Of right. Your you know, and so the cool thing when SoundCloud showed up, I jumped on that, and I was like, wow, I can actually get my music out mm-hmm. there, and so that is like how I got to this podcast. You know, people found me on SoundCloud, and then I got. Uh, I noticed, noticed, and they got brought into this whole idea of doing podcasts um, from my 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 audience base on SoundCloud, and then I got onto Spotify. But the problem, like it is, is like we only get paid pennies, right? Less than less than pennies, and I think it also has to do with what happened with Napster. Oh um, yeah, absolutely. When, when, yeah. When, when people found out that you you know you could just get music for free, and then iTunes came along and people had to pay, but then, you know, streaming came there. And so that the income stream had, you know, people don't pay $9 for music. Right. Anymore. And I think the big problem I have is, you know, the, the audience today will spend like $60 on an Xbox game. Yeah. But they won't spend $9 on their band. Yeah. The band they love. I mean, you really have to have like those hardcore (laughs) dedicated fans to like really spend that dollar on that one track. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they might go and download one track, but they won't buy $10 worth of track. And so my whole thing is like a lot of times you, a lot of bands I've talked to, they, they make more money selling t-shirts mm-hmm. than, than they do from the record. 
you know, and and I think that, that you know, I always stress to all the fans out there, if you love a band, download their songs, go to Amazon and buy, you know, you know, or go to some distributor where you can actually pay the band the the larger share. Like, so if you can actually pay for the download instead of just streaming a download, if you love that band, they, they need help. Yeah. Like, like DoorDash is helping all these restaurants. Well, you know, go to Amazon and and buy the download. Go to iTunes and buy the download. Mm-hmm. Um, or go to their website and buy their CD. Um, because it's the same idea. Creative people uh, are working people as well. And, and you know, and I, I, I don't want to be preaching to the choir, <laughs> but that, I, I believe that if people love music, you got to keep it here and you got to support it. Yeah, I mean, I think that's definitely one of the pros and cons that come with streaming services. Whereas before, you know, people, if they wanted to keep listening to your music, they would have to buy a CD or, um, you know. Like I said, you know. Yeah, whatever that, um, that medium was. But now it's so accessible that people don't think twice about buying a physical copy or even buying a download of something because they're like, well, I can just stream it for free. So what's the point? Uh, But at the same time, um, it's also good that your music is getting heard by a lot of people, you know? Well, that, yeah, that's the other piece of it. Like, like now your fan base, like I got a fan base from this podcast that hits like every country on the planet, Mm -hmm. you know, know, hitting like 24,000 listeners from when I first started, I only had like 1200. Um, and then I get to talk to people in Berlin, in Tokyo, in Norway, in the Netherlands. So the technology that allows us to stream and do podcasts allows us to reach, you know, people that we couldn't reach. Right. Before. We don't need uh, the labels to distribute the music. Yeah. Yeah. And I think what happens then is this, like your, your booking agent and your, your managers, uh, if they can get you, you know, the gigs, if they can get you in front of people, if they can get you a good deal so that you can maybe do some vinyl, um, because like vinyl is very lucrative. That's the one format that fans seem to want to buy. Yeah. Like what I've found, like in New York, if I go to do a show with the ghost and I bring vinyl, I can sell like a hundred vinyls and I'll make a lot of money. Yeah. I'll, I'll make more money on a hundred vinyls than I will. Right. <laughs> Um, and it's like it's not it's actually very cost effective and people like it because then you can sign it you can do artwork uh, into you can get the fan engaged which was the cool thing about vinyl in the first place which was like it really got your fan engaged because they had to listen to your whole project right right if you had vinyl back in the 70s I go listen to a Led Zeppelin album I I wouldn't go skipping around it I go in a basement with my friends and we listen to the whole thing and and I think that's kind of been missed on the playlist era is like people's projects sometimes don't get listened all the way. But if people buy the vinyl version of your record, they tend to do listen to the whole project. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. So it's a good way to engage your fan um, and get them into it. And there are ways to do that. And so I think that's a, that's a worthwhile thing that I found is, is very worthwhile. And, and it, one medium that you know fans seem to still really love. You don't have to go crazy printing a thousand of them. Right. You know, you can you can print hundreds of them at a time and and, and do pretty well with your fan base. Hmm. Just oh no, it's a it's a wonderful <laughs> idea. Please keep them coming. <laughs> but um, 
yeah so we're we're glad to talk to bands like yourself um out there uh what what are your thoughts about what you're going to do going into 20 you know 21 <laughs> and where are you going to be are you working on new music or you just focus on this latest release uh, so we already have like maybe five more tracks lined up right now that we're currently working on um so i expect we should have a release at some point uh in the next i'm hoping by 2021 that these songs will be polished out and ready to go it did take us um like a whole year to crank out these other ones uh just because you know the the whole process into you know getting it from start to finish is very long but uh we're hoping that these songs will do well enough to uh, allow us to crank out more songs in the future and then hopefully by the time we're able to crank out these other five sets of songs maybe even 10 uh you know since we have a lot of time on our hands <laughs> well you might might more be more than the ep might be a full exactly LP. yeah um we're hoping that by the time it gets to 2021 we'll be able to have an entirely new life set although i do expect that probably the first show is going to be a little awkward <laughs> you know oh, just... yeah, it takes you guys to get back into practice if you have me right like oh hey everyone long time no see <laughs> hi <laughs> yeah that's uh yeah that's why i've been trying to do like uh you know coordinate with other artists and uh do collaborations but it's still hard to kind of do a live uh like collaboration on the net oh yeah it's it, it, like what most of the time we i do with people is like i i you know i get a file i, I send a file back we go back and forth maybe we do a skype and we'll listen to it together and then we'll make comments about something and kind of be going back and forth and we might be playing in our own studios but we're not really synced up enough to play together that's one thing i would hope somebody in this time period comes up with a technology with one of the digital audio workstations like Front Logic, that allows you to do online collaboration and real. Yeah, because that's that's definitely one of the big challenges right now. As we're writing these new songs, um, it's normally me and Anthony who get together, and then I go and record with uh, our drummer Michael. But during this time, we're just sending files back and forth through email. We're texting. We're we're yeah. just not really playing in real time i don't get to have the occasional band practice where i'm like hey so this is what i thought of the song what do you think i have x y and c ideas you know um so if someone could come up with a real time uh video chat thing or something that like could allow us to play like you said in real time that'd be great I think would be cool be a be like you know it'd be like using fl studio or logic with a video interface that would allow you to actually see each other and then hear each other and in, in be, be able to deal with the lag time. Cause I mean, Roland has some video products that actually allow you to kind of correct for the video lag and the audio mm -hmm. lag that there, there's technology already that Roland has that does that. And so the question would be is like integrate that with, with a DAW and then you could actually have your band do a practice and you could actually, you know, real time be able to kind of vibe up off each other like you were in the studio. Man, that's a pandemic dream. <laughs> I think I think there's going to be somebody's going to do it. A couple of years ago, there was a company that was trying to do it. They never got it to work right. But I think it's more like I think you got to get companies like Roland and Logic to kind of get together right. 
and do a do a, do a combined technology between two companies that are good at both things, you know. And so you get two companies that are really good at that. And I could really be a big thing. So I've been pushing this out. <laughs> Every time I talk to people, I kind of throw it out there, hoping that one of these companies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because it's something I think all musicians in this time, we need something like yeah, that. Yeah. And even that. beyond this time, we we would still need that because there are some times where like the whole band can't get together because, you know, schedules don't match up or something where someone's away on some other they're in some other state or yeah, whatever yeah. you know yeah it would be very useful for a lot of people i think i think it would be something and given the technologies with 5g and um you know the internet getting faster and faster and people's capabilities getting better and better we're actually at a point where i think it could be done you know i'm a technology guy myself in my own my day mm-hmm. job so i i do not think there is a technological um real limit to be you know problem with doing that as if somebody hasn't figured it out uh, but it's not that the technology wouldn't support it. It's just a matter of like whether or not companies think they actually enough bands will buy it. I think in the world where you would go to the studio and you say, why would I do that? But in the COVID world, you know, I think they, they was like, oh, that, that we could make money. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, great talking to you. And this is going to go out tonight oh. within an hour. Awesome. We are on 11 podcast platforms, including Apple podcast and spotify podcast radio public um many many more and we'll send you like the top three links from like spotify apple maybe radio public and then also the anchor link and and we're also integrated with instagram so the spotify version of this podcast can be set up as a highlight and we'll do it on our 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 expansive sound site so if people click on it it'll go right to this podcast Oh, that's cool yeah, you could do the same thing on your story if you want to. But um, uh, so we're we're happy to have you on the show. When you have that new project, we have the ability to actually be able to have people with different locations. I can send this link to multiple people. So if you want to have the full band on next time we talk, we could actually. Yeah, do that. that sounds great. Yeah, thank you very much for being on. Oh, thank you so much glass for having spells, me, everyone. Yeah, glass spells, everybody. Go out to all the streaming services that you're on and play their music as much as you can. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Thank you very much. Support the bands you love. Glass spells, everybody. Thank you for being on the show. We'll, we'll talk to you in the future. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye.